Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Perfect Stranglers season fucking two. Can't believe it. I love that we're doing seasons. I think that is such a great thing to do. I know it's small, but it feels like a, like we're a butterfly emerging from their cocoon. I almost said butterfly emerging from their cactus. I didn't though, but I almost did. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) I can't believe that we've been doing this for a year. I know. I think you and I started talking about this in July of 2020, I remember looking back at my um, my like Facebook memories when I first put that post. Does anyone want to do a true crime podcast with me? And I was like, I need someone responsible who's actually going to stick it out and do the work. And some people responded, but I was like, Bree's perfect because she actually is respons- a responsible human being. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like to think we so. Could do this. And we did it. Yes. We did. We totally fucking did it. Ugh. Who would have known? God, a year, over a year now, because we've been like working on this for quite some time. It took us from July to September for you and I to like get everything set up and get everything set and come up with a perfect name and all of that. That stuff. was such an exciting time. It was because we hadn't. Well, we had no idea what we were doing. No idea how to combine audio. How like how do podcasts get out to the world? Like that was another mystery. Like how does someone do, like do I have to? How does this happen? Turns out, guys, there's something called a hosting platform, <laughs> and they just push your podcast out to all of these networks or all of these platforms. Didn't know that until now. Yeah, but here we are. I still have a dream of starting a relationship podcast or like a dating podcast not about dating people but not like finding dates but just like talking about relationships and life stuff and calling it trademark i'm trademarking this fuck around and find out i still want to do that (laughs) because like people have such crazy stories you know of just like the random shit that has happened to them yeah i think that would be fun like would it be like those articles like in cosmo of like tell us about your worst date ever yes that's exactly what i'm thinking about oh my god when's the last time you read a magazine uh it's been a long time um i usually only read magazines when i fly like when i i go to the airport and then i'll like buy a magazine from the airport to like read on the plane and that's that's it and and i don't fly that often so it's been a long time (laughs) it's been a while again it's been a while (laughs) yeah i can't remember the last time i bought a magazine either but i do i don't know if our stranglers know this i would assume they do and all those of you that know me personally very much know this i have an obscene obsession with beyonce like an obscene obsession and i remember going to walmart back when it was um by where gander mountain is in alaska Mm -hmm. i remember walking up there on during the summer and just sitting in the magazine aisle and flipping through 
all of the magazines and seeing which magazines had Beyonce in them and buying those if I had the allowance money. And if I didn't have the allowance money, I would go to the library and go through all of them. And then I would cut pages out of the magazines at the library like you're not supposed to do. And then I had, this is embarrassing now. So my mom had Tribune paper is what she called it. It was like a giant roll of newspaper that they print newspapers on. Okay. It was a giant roll of it. I don't know how she got it, but I used it to like draw on and stuff. And I had in my house from ceiling to floor, three chunks of Tribune paper. So it had to be like a yardstick plus a yardstick plus a yardstick wide and ceiling to floor full of Beyonce pictures. Full. Do you still have that? I don't still have it. I took them all down and put them in a box at something in a big shoe box at some point. And I remember when I moved out of my mom's house, I didn't have room to bring everything with me. And sadly, that was one of the things that I just could not bring with because I didn't have any room for it. Because at that point, I was living in on the... Sam, listen to this. Hi, Sam. I was living in my friend Sam's living room. And then I moved into my sister's house and slept on her floor. So I like didn't have any place to put my stuff. Yeah. And I never got to take it with me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I also... This is so embarrassing. I also used to like wait for Beyonce to come on TV and like I would watch all the award shows and stuff and just like know when she was going to come mm-hmm. on because of the way that they would talk about whoever is coming I was like that's Beyonce and I would record just section of her in it and then I would stop recording so I had multiple VHS tapes of just clips of Beyonce that's a super fan <laughs> no oh yeah and now i'm thinking back i'm like i could have just google now i'm like i could just google that or i can look up all of those videos on youtube but like do you ever think when you're younger like this is as good as it's going to get nothing is ever going to progress so i need to do this now because this is the way the world is always going to be yes yes in fact um i okay i remember it was probably like 2004 2005 it was, I was and am obsessed with those VH1 shows. Like, um, I love the 80s. I love the 90s. Yes. So they had a special, which was, I, sorry, I just had a mosquito in my room. Um, it's that damn Summerton man. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So they, they had a special that was um i love the holidays and it was just like <gasps> riffing on each of the yes! holidays and w- my family was like we were going somewhere i don't know if we like had it was like a, a church night or like something but we were going somewhere and i don't know i don't think that we had i don't at that point i don't think we had a dvr but i was like i cried about it i was like very upset that I missed it because I'm like I'm not I wanted to see that like we're, I'm never going to be able yeah. to see that again like I'm not how yeah. how am I gonna you know it was a special or whatever well it's on YouTube now and I have been able to watch it <laughs> and and it's great and I love it <laughs> oh isn't that wild because technology advanced so fast especially for us because that was like such a formative age for kids yes is you don't understand that like what is happening now is never going to happen again i'm never going to have this again yeah 
but you can, but we just don't understand that technology will evolve. But we didn't know how it was going to evolve either. Like, we didn't know that everything was going to be on Amazon Prime or YouTube or whatever. Right. Or Netflix. Right, right. Do you remember when Netflix was a streaming service where you have to um, rent DVDs and they, they were shipped to you? Yeah, and then they'd only give you, like, like if you had a plan where, like, you, you could pay more to have, like, more discs be able to be sent yes. to you. Yeah. And you could only hold three at a time in your... You only could get three at a time. And then you had a queue of a shit ton of them and you had to wait for people to return them. Yeah. That's wild. I know. It seems like... Wow. Actually, it actually seems a lot more inconvenient than just going to, like, the uh, video rental place. Yes. I think the only appeal was... They had all of you it? Could... Oh. Like, they have, uh-huh. they have, like... All movies. They have all of it, yeah. Because yeah, they have everything that you could ever want. Yeah. Wow. Do you did you ever fight with your siblings about trying to pick out a movie at like Blockbuster or Family Video or Whetstein's? <laughs> Whetstein's. Um. <laughs> I I don't. I think we we each got to pick one. Some. Okay. I mean, no. Sometimes there was like I remember like for like sleepovers and stuff. Like my mom would take. It, usually it would be like one of my friends and then like my sister is only three years younger than us so she would like be tagging along and we would try and decide on one movie to watch on friday night mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i don't know i remember from Wetsteins. i remember they had this 90s movie called my boyfriend's back and um it was like about this high school kid who died and came back as like a undead or something and um as an undead you mean like a zombie or a ghost? i guess i don't know if he was really a zombie or not mm. um but i should watch that again because when i recall it like i thought that was like a really cool movie but it's probably super dumb <laughs> probably you know what movie lasts the test of time 10 Things I Hate About You. That is a good movie. When she is standing up at the front of the class and she is reading that poem out loud and just she starts like crying. Fighting back tears. And Heath yeah. Ledger is just... Oh, God, I feel that so much in my heart. To this day, that poem will make me cry. I should watch that tonight. I should get... My mom always used to get Papa Murphy's and she would always get the pizza that I didn't like, which was called The Cowboy. Yeah, that's gross. Or she would get... It's got black olives yeah, on it. Because it has... I am mushrooms. Yeah, like, ew, I don't like mushrooms. And it's just like, so there's like warm tasting pizzas and like refreshing pizzas, I feel like. That's a very warm, dense pizza. Sausage, pepperoni, mushroom, black olive, and then the urban cheese blend on top. Mm-hmm. Um, I am much more of a fan of like a white sauce, like the gourmet chicken garlic. I would much rather have that. Anyway, <laughs> back to, back, what are we, what do we do? That's a, that's a really big deviation from what uh, I was going to say. 10 things I hate about you. I want to get that tonight. And I remember my mom always getting pizza on Friday nights and then picking out a movie. So we would have like pizza and a movie. Yes. On Friday nights. And it was always Papa Murphy's. And then I started working at Papa Murphy's and had to bring my own pizza home. Yeah. And then it was, yeah. Do you? And I was like, I don't want this. Right. I made it. Right. Right. What's with that? Yeah. It, did it taste different? Like, granted, I put, like, twice the amount of cheese in it and stuffed the crust with cheese, and you're getting a Big Murphy, which is, like, a stuffed pizza, but... Those are my favorite. Yeah. 
oh my god do i get a stuffed pizza tonight <laughs> no they're huge though too pizza. like i know i could get a large if they would just let me behind the counter for like a hot sack i could totally do one with a medium <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so um, we have a very special episode for you guys today. But before we do that, Bree, do you want to hit them with some housework? Sure. Hey, Stranglers. Thank you so much for supporting us each week. You know, we love and appreciate you and we love your support. If you are you stealing my line? I'm reading your script right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> If you want to follow along with us and see what's going down in Strangler Town, head to <laughs> Facebook at Perfect Stranglers, a true crime podcast, Instagram, Perfect underscore Stranglers, and Twitter, Perf Stranglers. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give us that five-star rating and go ahead and leave us a review. Reviews help us get noticed by fellow listeners who also like the true crime genre. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. I was like, wait a second. This looks, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. What the fuck is she saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's the standard script. Okay, guys. <laughs> We have a, thank you. We have a really special episode. This episode is only listener stories. That's all it is. It's just listener stories of stuff that you guys have been sending us put in to one probably massive episode. We do have a very, um, there's one story I'm very, very excited to read. It's about a very, very notorious serial killer. So you want to stick around for that. And uh, let's hop into it. So I think we, Bree and I are going to trade off stories. Um, so I think I'm going to go first. And then after I'm done reading my story, you can go and we'll just keep going back and forth. Sounds good. All right. So did you ask Reddit? Yes, this is for... I did. I went on our account on Reddit and I asked everyone to give me some stories. Asked on Instagram, social media, on obviously here. People emailed us. So yeah, we got a lot of you guys to give us some stories back. Cool. So I'm excited. Um, so this one is called Being Harassed by Things Unseen <clears throat> by Sawmill Turtle. A bit of background of what's going on. For the past couple of months, I've been working at a slaughterhouse and plant in northern Wyoming. The state, not the city. Um, it's a great place. Best job I've ever had. Sincerely, I love it here. When I started, I worked as a meat cutter, but I wasn't particularly good at it. I eventually ended up on cleanup, a position which I really excelled at. I was the daytime cleaner, and there was a nighttime cleaner who worked in the plan after everyone else went home. I don't want to use his real name, so let's call him Dorothy Zabornak. Uh, so, do you know who Dorothy Zabornak <laughs> is? No, she's from the Golden Girls. <laughs> oh my God, that is Dorothy! I was like, why does this sound familiar? <laughs> I didn't know that was her last name. Yes. Um, actually, when Rose went to the clinic to get tested for AIDS, they're like, you can use, um, a fake name so that nobody knows who you are. And she used Dorothy's Bornack, <laughs> her friend's name and stuff. I had no idea that was her last name. Yeah. That is remind me of the Freddie Jones thing where I didn't know Fred, Fred had the last name. Yeah. Jones. Yes. 
Spornak, maiden well, name Petrillo. Used. So Dorothy's Dorothy is uh, gonna be making a little little cameo. <laughs> okay, only as a guy's name. So uh, his name is Dorothy. Uh, so Dorothy worked here for quite some time before I got here, and I assisted him with anything I could the hours that our shifts overlapped. Then Dorothy started talking about quitting. He expressed a great deal of discontentment and a desire to work closer to home. He told me he'd probably be leaving at the end of summer and asked me to not say anything. I obliged, not my business. Then he randomly quit one Friday night, leaving the place untouched in a colossal mess. The plant manager called me in on a Saturday and asked me to clean it up. He also gave me Dorothy's job. So here's where things get unsettling. My new shift has me working alone in this place until at least midnight every night of the week. No problem, I like being alone. But then the ghosts that apparently haunt this place began to mess with me. It started as random noises and shadows moving in my peripheral vision. Not frequently, but enough that I took notice. I asked another employee about it yesterday afternoon. Let's call him Wilma Flintstone. <laughs> I said to Wilma, have you ever noticed anything strange or paranormal around here? Early in the morning I have, Wilma replied. Before everyone gets here, this place is a little lively. I notice that it's a little lively when I'm by myself too, I said. Noises, shadows, voices. Voices, Wilma asked. Yeah, I explained. Voices in other rooms. Quite quiet whispering that I can't quite make out. There shouldn't be voices if I'm the only person in the building. You're not crazy, Wilma said with a smile. You're not the only one who's experienced things. Maybe someone died here or something. Like who, I asked. I don't know, Wilma said. Then with a laugh, we do kill a lot of animals here. I can't imagine the ghosts of a thousand dead cows and pigs standing around in the package in the packaging office having a verbal conversation, I told mm. him. It got me thinking, though, and I told him this. I told him this. The area we inhabit used to be native land. I think Shoshone? Not sure. But it wouldn't be too far-fetched if our plant was built over some native burial ground or something that we're actually working on top of, and that we're actually working on top of a thousand desecrated skeletons. Native American spirits tend to get upset when you disturb their eternal slumber. Well, whatever these unseen beings are, whether they are native or just really unhappy dead cows, I decided to have a conversation with them last night and everyone, last night after everyone left. So here's how it goes. Okay, ghosties, here's the deal. I don't know what your end game is. I don't know what you hope to accomplish. Are you trying to drive me away? Are you trying to spook me? I have no qualms with you, and if I would prefer, and I would prefer it if we could find a way to coexist. I have a job to do. The job pays my bills. I have no intentions of leaving. You're apparently stuck here because, and I looked around to emphasize the point. If it was me, this is the absolute last place I'd want to spend etern spend eternity. Well, I guess it beats a fiery pit, but not by much. So you can't leave and I won't. So could you guys just give me some space? Could you not mess with me? I don't think being dead removes your ability to be reasonable. And I'd really appreciate it. That is quite the conversation to have in the middle of a room with nobody but ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they go on to say, Things did not go as I expected. They mess with me even harder. They apparently don't like being asked to socially distance. <laughs> the shadows came more <laughs> the shadows came more frequently, and there were at least two times when the shapes in my peripheral vision weren't shapes at all. They were people. When I jerked my head to look, they'd be gone. 
There was one point where I was going to dump a mop bucket and I heard what sounded like footsteps directly behind me, less than a foot away. I dove almost headfirst into the nearest room, slammed the door, closed it, and locked it. Like a lock on a door is going to keep Casper the salty ghost out. So I finished my work as fast as I could and then practically ran to my vehicle. I floored the accelerator and sped off like I was being chased. I'm not so sure they weren't chasing me. There was the briefest moment that I thought I saw someone in my passenger seat right before I pulled out. I don't know what to do. I'm actually afraid of these things. I can't go to my boss and ask him to move me off off nights because ghosts. I cannot and will not quit. I'm making too much money and my life has dramatically improved and stabilized from what it was. And I won't let them drive me away. But I'm scared. And I don't know if there's anything I can do to make it stop. Maybe I ought to not have, maybe I should not have tried to reason with them. Maybe I shouldn't have acknowledged them at all. Either way, the damage is done and I have angered something that I don't understand. Wow. Um, I would suggest maybe like wearing like a St. Michael medal or something around your neck. I don't know. (laughs) A canister of salt or of holy water, blessed holy water. Something. A little necklace of holy water. Oh, there. or yeah, um, like a, a little evil eye um, necklace or something mm. like that. So a bracelet. I don't know. I, maybe they yeah. can't. Maybe they can't do that. Maybe they can't have jewelry on yeah, cause they're, when they're cutting meat. Yeah. But, maybe you carry some holy water with you. Yeah. Some black ash. I don't know. But that is creepy. Um, working in a slaughterhouse itself seems very eerie. Add that on top of it. Hard pass. Yeah. Thanks, Sawmill Turtle, and I love the yeah. name names that you chose. I do, too. <laughs> Very appropriate. All right, Brie, what you got? All right, this one is from a Reddit user named St. Luxius. Lucius Lux. There's an X in it. Okay. <clears throat> Says, my wife said that I should get this experience off my chest. I've spent decades in military intelligence community, so I don't want to put too much information about myself on a public forum. However, I'm curious if any other experiences overlap my own. We lived off base in a rundown community that looks like any other rundown community that you find next to a military installation. The apartment complex itself was nice by the standards of the rest of the buildings in our area. At 2.30 a.m. on a Friday morning, I was woken up by a series of knocks on my heavy wooden door. I have a rule. One series of knocks is just people messing with the neighbors, but if they really need something, they'll knock twice. Yup, there came the second series of knocks. I expected it to be somebody from work trying to get a hold of me and my cell phone had died. It had happened before. I opened the door and stared down at this kid that I estimate to be about six years old. There was so much about this kid that was bizarre. Um, The eyes feature suggested in uh, Black Eyed Kids seems kind of trivial. I can't say with 100% confidence that his eyes were all black orbs. I just don't know because the rest of him was such a mess. When I look at people... I don't know. I have a habit of avoiding eye contact. The rest of his description is as follows. Clothing, gray. Filthy hooded sweatshirt with the hood half halfway up 
with matching gray sweatpants. Shoes, unremarkable. Skin complexion, for lack of a better phrase, I would say he was extremely pale. Not clear if there were blemishes in the way of freckles on his skin or if he was just really dirty. Hair, possible reddish-brown, messy, dirty, short. His face was in this grimace of hatred. His expression was like someone who was sucking on the world's most sour candies. <laughs> I can picture that. Um, here's the worst part of it. The body odor he was radiating was like something I have never smelled before or since. I've smelled decomposing bodies in war. The closest smell I can relate to was in ranger school. In ranger school, due to lack of food and rest, often guys' bodies would start to consume muscle for energy. Combined with the lack of bathing opportunities, this creates an over odor that is hard to top. But this kid smelled like weaponized foulness. <laughs> I asked, Damn. that's pretty bad. Um, I asked, can I help you? In a voice flat, devoid of inflection, he said, my parents don't like you. I responded, um, what? He stated, you'll be okay if you give us something great. I slammed the door on him because I thought he was just screwing with me. He let out this, no! I could hear him on the other side of the door, throwing a tantrum like you would see a toddler in a store when they when their parents don't let them buy something. Definitely a very strange thing to do at midnight. However, kids running around the dilapidated neighborhood unsupervised was a pretty common occurrence, so I just chalked it up to bad parenting. I showered and threw my clothes out because I didn't want that stench on me, and I went back to bed because I had to be up again in four hours. The strange thing is that the stench didn't seem to linger. I saw this kid on three other occasions. The second time, I was going out to my car in the morning, and he was standing in the parking lot glaring at me. When I came home, he was staring at me, standing in the same spot. Then, when I looked out the window hours later, he was still in the same spot, glaring at me with the same sneer at nothing. I asked my wife what she made of him, and she said that he wasn't bothering anything, which was a pretty low bar for that neighborhood. Kids would often run around vandalizing people's vehicles and apartments. I thought about calling the authorities. However, what was I going to say? There was this weird kid staring at me. Uh, he, he might need some help because he's weird and he stinks. <laughs> the truth is, I hated this kid. Now I have three kids of my own and... I don't just outright hate other kids. However, I really hated this one. I hated his smell. I hated that he existed. I felt that he was trying to target and bully me for some reason. And no, I didn't want to help this kid. Also, I had these paranoid thoughts of if this kid hates me as much as I hate him, he's going to lie to the cops and tell them that I had harmed him. Uh, I could affect my own own security clearance, but it's just best to ignore him and this will all go away. One time, 
I saw him interacting with kids outside, so I know he wasn't a figment of my imagination. However, he didn't play with them like a normal kid. Uh, this girl would come up and grab him around the arm, and he would just stand there and glare at her. There were kids running around him, and he just stared at them with that grimace. That's so weird. Yeah. Uh, my wife wanted me to share this experience that I had back in... I don't know if this is a different story or not. I don't think it is. Uh, my wife wanted me to share this experience that I had back in 2011. At the time, I worked in the office of uh, Regional Command, J2, if that means anything to you. Um, I've been read into various bizarre government programs. However, thinking about it, I still don't know what to make of this kid. I don't know what to get out of writing this. Maybe someone knows more about this kid or has other similar experiences. Um, it's certainly not extraordinary like some of the other experiences people on Reddit have had. I'm not saying this kid was magical or demonic. I can't rule out that he was truly just some kind of misfortunate. Maybe the right thing to do would have been to get him help. However, I just can't get past how much I hated him for no reason. Between that and the smell, my experience wasn't that bizarre. What I do know uh, is that I'm fine with never seeing that kid again. Maybe these black-eyed kid experiences can be explained by kids just being extra weird. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. They're creepy. No. Um, I know on the thread that he had, he or she, he had posted that on, there was a lot of people who had had very similar experiences like that. Wow. That that match it and a lot of people thought it was the black eyed kids he didn't see the eyes that were black but the the stench the disheveledness right. we did an episode on this the stench the disheveledness all of that the like overwhelming fear that you feel mm -hmm. uh, and then like that kind of carrying over after you see that it definitely yeah i would say that you had an encounter with a black eyed kid and for that, I am sorry, but thank you so much for sharing your story with us. All right, so this next story is from um, someone I know. I don't think they want me to say their name, and if they do, sorry, I'm not saying your name, just in case. Uh, okay, so they start this off like, I feel like it's like Law and Order, where it's like, dun dun. So date, mid-year 2017. Who? My brother-in-law's female cousin. Location? St. Paul, Minnesota. Names are replaced for privacy purposes. Okay. <clears throat> it started one girl's night out. My sister Melissa and the cousins-in-law had went out and were dropping everyone off at their houses afterwards. And then she, my um, sister Melissa went home. When she got home, she received a call from one of the girls she had dropped off named Jessica. Jessica was telling Melissa that she didn't want to go inside the house, which was her parents' house. Her parents were not home at the time. They were in California um, on a business trip. Uh, Melissa was confused and asked why she didn't want to go in the house. Well, Jessica said that she was afraid and she um, was afraid of the house because she thinks that someone is following her. She then said that she believes that Melissa and her husband Michael's house was a house of God and that it will keep her safe and protect her. 
So Melissa was thinking maybe she didn't want to be home alone or something. And so they went out and they picked Jessica up and brought her back home with them. So the first night there, Jessica was at Melissa and Michael's house. Um, Jessica sat on the couch and Melissa and Michael were very tired. So they went to bed. When Melissa woke up for work in the early morning the next morning, she noticed all of the lights in the house were on. Jessica was still up, but she was sitting at the dining table reading the Bible. She said she couldn't sleep. Melissa, very tired, decided to call into work. She sat there and she watched Jessica read the Bible. Some parts Jessica was reading out loud super fast, and then she would slow down and then read fast again. Jessica then said that she was tired and went to bed. Melissa and Michael had called Jessica's sister and told them that what was going on. They decided to come over and see why she was acting so strange and questioned Jessica if she was okay and try to figure out what was going on with her. But the only response was she didn't want to go home. She was scared. Days later, Melissa then went to work as she had been off due to Jessica not being herself. Michael decided to stay home from work this time because he felt that something was off as well. As soon as Michael went outside to his car to grab his work business card to get the number off of it in order to call into work, Jessica ran out of the house, but the way she was running was like someone controlling a robot, arms flailing, legs wobbly like a fawn learning to walk. Her vision was impaired. Michael takes off after Jessica as she runs into a neighbor's car, locks it, grabs a knife from under the rug and cuts her hand and smears it all over the window, making demonic faces and sticking her tongue out at him. He keeps, he keeps telling her to open the door right now, but she wouldn't. He then calls Melissa and tells her to come home and to get the others. Jessica finally calmed down and came out of the car. Michael grabs her and walked her back into the house. She then asked him what happened and why is she bleeding because she couldn't remember a thing. Michael calls for the pastor to come and see if he can pray for her. A pastor came into the house and he sensed and saw the devil sitting on Jessica's shoulders. He starts praying, which made Jessica get very upset and in a deep voice she said, fuck you, and started breathing heavily and loudly. Everyone was scared. Pastor then starts rebuking the devil, telling the devil that he is not afraid and to leave her alone. He doesn't belong here and so on. And then the devil said, I am owed something and I've gotten and I have not gotten it yet. So this is mine. Pastor explained to everyone what he saw, what he saw and what he heard. After that, Jessica had calmed down once more. So the author of the story then said, so I'm sure there are some questions because I, because I have some questions also. One of them being, how did Jessica know there would be a knife in that car? Well, they asked Jessica that as well, and Jessica said he, like, quote, he, told her to go in that specific car and grab the knife to kill Michael. Um, they said they, whoever they is to Jessica, said that he is a bad guy and she didn't want to kill him, but she knew who he was, so, because she knew who he was, he was a good person, so she decided to cut herself instead. Also, Note that when she's in her possessed state, she does not know how to open doors, I guess. So how she got out of the house in the first place, not really sure. And how she opened that car door, not really sure. That's um, weird. Yeah. So all of this is going on and everyone takes turns watching Jessica as she really doesn't sleep at this point. Jessica has changed in look and color. She looks weak. Her eyes are really big and dark. Her mouth is weird, but she has the strength of 10 men. 
Um, now, one night at Melissa and Michael's house, they had everyone over, including the pastor and his wife, just to keep each other company while all of this is going on as they were waiting for Jessica's parents to come home from California from their business trip. They had said something about they will come back and do a shaman ceremony. Now, they kept talking about this amongst each other, saying that the parents might saying that the parents might have made some kind some type of deal because Jessica didn't have a quote string like bracelet tied on her. Um, she said the bracelet it's tied to shield the person from evil spirits in the form of of sickness. These strings signify the binding up and holding intact of the life souls. So many other reasons. There are many other reasons for the strings, but it just depends on how the string is blessed. And Jessica didn't have that string on her. So is this the red and white strings? I'm not sure. Maybe. I know what you're talking about. Maybe. Um, but Jessica didn't have that on her. So everyone is hanging out and uh, um, the girls were in the kitchen cooking. And Jessica gets up and went over to them and yelled at them saying, I know you bitches are talking shit about me and you keep talking about me. Jessica's older sister, Grace, stood in front of her and told her to go sit down. They were blocking the drawer of knives and Jessica said she will kill Grace if she doesn't move. Grace said no, and that she's not afraid of the ugly monster. Okay, so they plan to do an exorcism. It has to be done at this church. I can't really remember the reason, but something about the power of being in a church, and there's a priest there, and that um, the priest there and being a church is helping, but they need to do it between services, and they did not want to scare anyone in the church, and they did not want Jessica to know what was going on. All she knows is that they're going to church just to pray for her. So Jessica's sister and cousins and their husbands, along with Michael and Melissa, go to the church. <laughs> he just <gasps> jumped out of the basket. <laughs> my God, I can't be reading that now and it happened. Fucking <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Why? Let's check. Let's check my, uh... oh, my heart rate's way up according to my Apple Watch. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so her sister, cousins, and their husband, along with Michael and Melissa, go to the church. The guys are holding um, Jessica, clo Jessica close while walking into the church. She's being really nice, saying hi to everyone, like, oh, hello, hi, how are you? Just creepy. She is like, I just want to say hi, can you let me go? She knows no one at this church. So then the service was done and they start the exorcism. They hold her down in the chair. My brother-in-law, Michael, tries to hold her hands down while starting the prayer with the priest. She kicks him and flew. And they said he flew at least five feet. And here is the strength of ten men. That's where the strength of ten men comes in. The other two guys held her down, but then others walking past got stared, so they stopped. The priest said, we will have to do this later. No one is here. I'm like, what? Why? I think the priest was afraid also. So they dragged her out of the church. She started screaming, help, they're kidnapping me. And then she would giggle. Fucking creepy, right? They got her into the van and this van has three roads. So she is in the way back between Brad and Dan. So while all of this is going on, someone had called the police. They showed up and stopped them. My sister said Grace had her windows down. She's on the passenger side uh, where the cop is standing questioning what is going on. Fucking Jessica flew from the back seat to the third motherfucking row and she jumps all the way from the back through the passenger window and hugs the cop. How? How is that possible? The cop was a bit frightened. Jessica laughed, then took off running like she was playing tag now. She ran around the church saying, you can't catch me, you can't catch me. 
They finally caught her. The sister, Grace, told the cops that she had a mental illness and they were taking her to the ER. The cops escorted them there, making sure she was um, taken care of and actually taken to the ER. Well, get this, she gets hospitalized because she also was refuting, refusing food and said that she wanted a soul. The first nurse was afraid. She kept she said she kept telling her to come closer and then she was telling her to not be scared that poor overnight nurse uh another nurse showed up to switch um the overnight nurse and the new nurse goes in and tells her i'm not afraid i have god on my side and then jessica stops messing around the parents finally came back home from or from their work trip and they did a shaman ceremony they changed her name gave her a new bracelet and she slowly became normal again and she still has no idea what happened fucking creepy wow. right and that's the end of that one that's interesting that they changed her name yeah yeah hmm very creepy um i don't like the thought of someone being in my house acting like that for a long period of time but uh yeah maybe i'm not nice enough to take care of someone like that i don't know (laughs) (laughs) being possessed is a deal breaker it's a deal hard pass deal breaker for me all right so what do you got okay so this next story is from an anonymous person it says First, I'm not a Christian. My parents tried to instill this in me, but it didn't work out. Uh, Second, I'm not looking for any type of guidance from this post. Please respect my stance that I believe in some type of higher power, but do not wish to be proselytized by any believing group. To begin, my entire childhood experience was filled with psychological and emotional torment. I attribute this mainly to my parents. Some of my earliest memories were crying myself to sleep almost every night because my parents were having violent fights. This went on until I left home at the age of 19. All other aspects of torment came from the many churches that my parents took me to as I grew up. The reason why there was so many was because my parents moved up and down the east coast of the United States 37 times over 18 years. That's a lot. The moves were partly my father wanting to escape the responsibility of his abusiveness and partly my mother chasing the newest preacher. So, I had many versions of the the same biblical stories which had left many conflicts in the poor information I was hearing. All the conflicting information just added to the torment. All this drove me into a corner where I thought my only way out was suicide. At the age of 13, I had no clue if a god or a higher power existed. I simply had no way to justify it based on the torment that I was living in. My plan to end my life was finalized when I figured out that I could steal dynamite from a friend's father who worked in construction. I had gotten so good at hiding my true feelings that no one would suspect anything. There were no cries for help. There would be no note. Uh, which apparently most suicides don't have a note. Side note. All right. Um, I would simply construct a crown of dynamite, which I would place over my head and set it off. God, that sounds unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, I did plan to do this in a remote location, so I wouldn't harm anyone or damage any property. It's strange how I could be so thoughtful in that situation. Weeks prior to carrying out my plan, I was um, at a midweek service at the church my family had attended now for the past couple of years. 
This night, we had most unusual guests. They were a husband and wife music group, which made it, or what made it unusual was that the husband played incredible jazz piano, unlike I had ever heard, and the wife sang exceptional jazz vocals. So it was a gospel jazz duo. Uh, Although it was unique and the music was good, I was too busy uh, in the very back of the church making farting noises with my hands (laughs) along with the music. (laughs) I did this only to get my friend laughing so hard that he'd piss his pants. Then I was interrupted. The music stopped and there was about two to three minutes of silence. And I heard the woman say, you, in the blue shirt. Uh, I looked at my shirt. Yup, it's blue. I looked up at her and it was as if I was looking through a drinking straw at her face and could see nothing else. Then she said, I don't know what this is, but all I can see is your face and nothing else around it. I believe God has something to say to you. Would you be willing to come up here? I was a very shy person, uh, but I tried to let on that I was not. So this would not be easy if I decided to go up there in front of almost 300 people. I was left with a couple of choices. Not that there were many choices, but I could have made that that there were two main choices that I faced. First, I could go up there in front of the assembly and see what happens. Second, refuse and continue on with my suicide plan. After a few moments, I thought, if this is God or supernatural Bob or some cosmic thing that I don't understand... Um, and it could get me out of some of this torment that I have been in for 13 years, then I'll give it a shot. Why not? So I went up there. Uh, All of us were in a state of awe. I was, she was, then I, then I looked out at the 300 or so people and they all had the same expression. Mouths open, um, jaws dropped. So she put, her hand on my shoulder and said the following your natural timidity is only a part of your youth it is not something that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life she did not know me at all how could she know this about me this got my attention and i thought that i should listen intently she went on you are going to learn a lot about god's word you are also going to learn a lot about yourself All the things that you're going to learn will change your family. You will have dreams and visions that only a young man could have. God is calling you into ministry, and it's a public ministry. So come, follow God. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. The choice is yours. I could just say, no thanks, and go back to my seat and move ahead with my suicide plan, or I could say yes and see what happens. I did not walk away, so the woman asked me to raise my hands and repeat a prayer that she led me through. I don't remember the prayer, and I'm not sure that the words were of much importance anyway. I began, or I believe that 
the only thing that was important was to not go through with the suicide and to somehow trust what was said to me through this woman would happen. I was able to get the audio tape of, of the meeting from a church member who records them all. I then transcribed what all of what she said to me on paper. I read over the, that thing so many times that it became seared into my memory. That's how I'm able to recall it even to this day. Three years later, at the age of 16, I went to my youth pastor about it. I wanted to know what it all meant and when this was going to happen. Or he was there the night that it happened. He read what I had on paper. Um, then he gave me the best advice. He said, if this is God, then it will happen. So just put it on the shelf. I agreed that that was the best thing to do. I tried very hard to forget about it and went on with my life. At the age of 19, my mom picked me up from my high school two days before I was to graduate. The car was fully packed. She said we were leaving for good. We drove to uh, to Maine to live with my father's side of the family who were supportive of the decision. My mother finally got the courage to get us out of our family's torment. It was a beautiful summer in Maine that would start the process of healing. After settling into a groove, uh, my life had become uh, incredibly enjoyable enjoyable and free from unnecessary stresses. For years as a teenager, I had used marijuana to cope with the torment. After being away from, from it for only weeks, I was able to just stop doing it. I didn't need it anymore. One early afternoon, while I while propped up against the headboard of my bed listening to music with my portable cassette player, I had the visions and dreams. I wasn't asleep. It was as if something had transported me through time space to show me four separate events. It was as if I left my body and traveled into the future to four separate places. In all of them, it was as if I was floating high above each place as a spectator. I could see everything but that was it. There were no other sensations such as touch, smell, taste, nor hearing. It was purely a visual experience. For the first uh, future place event, or the first future place event, I was watching and following myself uh, just above and behind, running down a very narrow paved road. I watched as I jumped onto a grassy area landing on my knees. I watched as I pounded my hands and forearms into the grass several times. I then saw myself lift my face up towards the sky and shout something. I looked enraged. The second future place event was that I was watching myself speak in a small group of people in an outdoor venue. The third future place event, I was, I was watching myself speak to a larger audience in an auditorium. The fourth future place event was that I was watching myself speak to roughly four or 500 people at an outdoor setting. The vision uh, experience ended and I physically felt an electrical sensation over my body. I felt completely full of energy. So I went for a walk around town and that lasted a little over an hour. 
while walking, I realized that what I had just experienced had, may have been a part of what that woman said to me back when I was 13. About a month went by and I decided that I want to move from Maine back to my home in North Carolina. I missed all of my friends badly and thought that my future would be best where I considered to be home. Surprisingly, an acquaintance's mother decided to let me live in her downstairs apartment of her home indefinitely. So a girl who I barely knew got her mother to agree with this. I was so elated and thankful. She let me use their extra BMW to get back and forth to work from for no other reason. <laughs> who has an extra beamer? Right? <laughs> I had a crush on this girl from high school and I kept in touch through letters with her while I was in Maine. Now that I'm back in North Carolina, I wanted to get together with her. I called her um, at college, at the college she was attending, and she invited me out to a concert on the lawn event the coming Friday evening. I met her at the top of the hill in front of the stage area. She was sitting with another guy. I noticed they would hold hands from time to time, and this started to confuse me. At one point, she decided to go back to her room and said she'd be right back. 30 minutes passed, and I got worried, so I went to her room to see if she was okay. When I got to her room, I found her curled up on her bed crying. Um, I sat on the edge of her bed and asked what's wrong. She tried to gently tell me that she was dating the other guy and before she could express um, herself fully, I jumped and ran out of the room. I continued down the hall, out of the building, down a very narrow paved road, and then I ran to the grassy area, jumped onto my knees, beat the ground with my fists and forearms, and well or while crying and screaming. Then I lifted my face up to the sky and shouted, fuck you, God. It wasn't until a week passed that I had realized what had happened that Friday night. I was taking a shower in my downstairs apartment when it dawned on me I had experienced the first of my four visions. I was in utter awe and amazement. So much so that I just sat down in the shower with my mouth agape. I must have sat there over 30 minutes, just completely blown away. Weeks later, I somehow agreed to hang out a few times with my father, and he convinced me to leave my incredible living conditions and move back in with him. While living there, I was curious as to what had happened uh, with a mutual friend of ours. We met Larry at the last church that we had attended. He told me that Larry had left that particular church and was um, doing his own thing. I inquired more and my father suggested that we call him. I called and asked Larry why he'd left. He responded by telling me that it would be best if he told me in person. My father agreed to drop me off at his house the following Saturday morning. Larry told me that he'd been in a spiritual quest prior to attending the church that we'd once gone to. Then he said that he wasn't finding what he was looking for and becoming frustrated. He told me that one night he was on his hands and knees crying out for, to God for help. At the time, he had his TV tuned into the Christian Broadcasting Network. As one bout of his sobbing session ended, he heard a man speaking 
to one of the TV hosts and it got his attention. The man was Dr. Roy Blizzard. He, he's a Hebrew scholar with multiple degrees in paleontology, archaeology, and a doctorate in Hebrew. Larry went on to explain that he uh, ordered several of his lectures on audio tape. Uh, Larry went on to tell me that another man from the church we had once attended came to his home to see why Larry had left. Larry tried to explain that he needed more accurate information regarding what was being taught at the church. Then um, the visiting man became resistant to what Larry was explaining and finally wrote Larry off completely. Larry then asked the man to leave. I was so interested in in what Larry was trying to explain to me that I just kept inquiring. Finally, he suggested that I listen to the introductory lecture by Dr. Roy Blizzard. I agreed. After only the first sentence, I started to cry. Larry stopped the tape and asked me what was wrong. I said to him, why didn't I know this before? Larry replied, I know. Um, the first sentence that stopped me was, did you know that Jesus was a Jew? I spent the next six months with Larry staying at his home every weekend, and I would wake up at 6 a.m., eat, shower, dress, then walk five miles to his house on Saturday morning. We would listen to a number of Hebrew scholars and read many other books. Then Larry would drop me back at my father's house on Sunday night. The tension at my father's house had been building and I had no idea what was causing it or what to do. One day I drove home from work and parked my car in front of our home. Then out of nowhere, a voice that sounded like multiple screeching, screaming voices yelled, why are you running? I froze and looked into my rear view mirror, nothing. I got up the courage to quickly open the car door and jump out. Then I looked back into the car and saw nothing. I stood there trying to calm down before I went inside. I opened the door and noticed my father sitting on a couch with both of his arms on the back. He wasn't moving and didn't appear and appeared to be staring straight ahead into the sliding glass doors. I was going to head around front of him into my room. I thought it strange that he was motionless and didn't turn to greet me when I entered. As I headed around the first of the uh, around the front of the couch, I noticed that his uh, face looked like it was ashen. His mouth was slightly open and motionless. Then, as I was about to pass by him, that exact disembodied group of voices came out of his direction again yelling, why are you running? I kept walking into my room and I closed the door. I was scared and I didn't want to see, or I was scared and I didn't want my father to see. About an hour went by and I was getting hungry. Minutes later, I heard my father leave, so I went out and ate. I thought he was going to say his dad was dead or something. Yeah, I did too. But he's just... He just said his dad got up and left. Okay. Weird. Um, then it was back to my room where I was worried about what to do. I was laying across my stomach, resting my, fore resting my forearms on my bed, listening to music. 
Then very slowly, I felt a tingling and relaxing type of energy come over my body and starting with my feet. It enveloped my entire body, soothing my mind. Then a small voice inside my mind said, leave your father. He is controlled by evil spirits. What? Yeah. I wondered how I would leave without a confrontation. Shortly after this, I had fallen asleep. I awoke to hearing my father rustling around uh, in, out in the kitchen, and then I heard him leave. I went out to the kitchen to find a note that he had left telling me that he was headed to Maine. So I took my time eating, showering, smacking, or packing a small backpack. (laughs) (laughs) Smacking a small backpack. (laughs) Or I left with the clothes on my back, one extra set of clothes, one apple, one light jacket, and about $10. I headed out towards the highway and in my ignorance and fear prayed that everyone that picked me up on the road would be a Christian. Uh, The first person to pick me up was a first generation Polish man who said he was not a Christian when I asked. I thought um, that to be curious. I ended up hitchhiking from North Carolina to Tulsa, Oklahoma. There it was It was there that I decided to head back towards the East Coast. Not once on this trip um, was I ever without sleep, food, shelter, banter, laughter, and so on. I was having a wonderful time. It was as if God was not only looking out for me, but was lavishing me. The very last ride I got was from a couple who had been traveling back and forth from Petersburg, Virginia, to some place out west every year for the past 30 years. They told me that in that time they had seen many hitchhikers and they had never picked anyone up before. They went on to tell me um, shortly after passing me on the road that they both felt an overwhelming sense to pull over and offer me a ride. They told me that this overwhelming sense was a first for them and they couldn't understand what it was. I simply replied to them that it was God. Uh, Not one person that picked me up or helped me claim to be a Christian when I asked. Uh, I made a point to ask everyone on that trip. Uh, I ended up living with my mother in New Jersey. During that time, I had seen my my first serious girlfriend. It was my girlfriend's mother who suggested that I see a counselor for what they both perceived in me as an inability to express my emotions. So I agreed Um, I remember my first session was with a Catholic counselor. Thankfully, he wasn't biased by his own beliefs when he he treated me. Uh, At one point in the session, I started um, to tell him my anger towards my parents for what they had put me through. He pointed to a small wooden chair uh, in his office and asked me to take my anger out on it. So I went over, I picked it up, and I began smashing it onto the floor over and over again. When I was done, there was just a pile of splinters. I continued to see a number of different counselors over a six-month period. Um, It would be the beginning of a long healing process that uh, took the next 10 years. I believe God provided me with many opportunities to seek counseling, and I wisely chose to go through with it. Most of the hours and hours of sessions were reliving all the painful experiences that I had in childhood. 
It was extremely difficult to go through all of that again, but I knew that it was necessary if I wanted to be completely whole. As for the last three visions, uh, where I am supposedly a public ministry, I'm not sure. I have no idea um, what I'd be saying to these people. I've just decided to do what my youth pastor wisely advised and when I was obsessed with about an experience I had when I was 13, and I've put it on the shelf. That's it. First off, that was the longest so, fucking story. <laughs> it was a really long story. So it sounds like they have yet to um, experience those other three visions. But God, yeah. that's bizarre. Yeah. Some people just, I don't think religion has anything to do with it, personally. I believe that some people just operate on a different level. Some people can just feel and see different things that others can't yeah for sure yeah very bizarre very bizarre all right so the next one is uh this person actually hosts a podcast as well i'm not sure what their podcast is but this is a story that they've told on their theirs and we exchange stories so they're gonna tell my grandma's story on theirs and i'm telling this story on ours so cool. yeah all right so she's, she or he says, I worked in a haunted house every October. I'm the main character. And so I'm in and out of every single room there, acting with others and guiding the guests on a tour of the quote mansion. The mansion is actually an old double wide trailer that's been around for a couple decades, but it was extremely hard renting to other people because it was haunted. The story of the family who died in the house is quite tragic. It started when one of the people who lived there, we'll call him Henry, accidentally took his own life because of his obsession with asphyxiation during self-intercourse. Sorry if this is weird to say, I'm trying to dodge Reddit censors the best that I can. Um, it was very tragic for the mom, who we call Annie, and the other daughter called Evelyn. That creeped me out because Everly's name is Everly Ann. Oh. Ooh. Yep. Okay. So Annie eventually took her Named own life. Named after your grandma who the story yeah. that you exchanged was about. Ah! Why would you fucking say that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God! I, oh, my God! Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Annie eventually took her own life because she couldn't handle the grief of losing her husband, and unfortunately, nobody checked in on Annie, which sadly caused the death of little Evelyn from starvation she changed the names oh though oh my god she changed the names though so it's okay okay it's not the real names okay okay the previous re yes that's very sad though the previous residents of the house had all complained of a little girl being in their room at all hours of the day and it was hard to rent out for years eventually the current owners put a few more double wides out there and began renting them out instead of living off Living in a different house, when they started renting out the houses, they lived in the haunted house trailer. They had a few instances of the little girl before they built their own house and basically blocked off that one trailer from anyone who was interested in it. After years of it sitting on the lot, they decided to turn it into a fun little haunted house. No such thing. Um, it got extremely popular and thus begins my personal experience with the spirits in the house. Like I said... Previously, the quote made a tour guide who shows people around and does normal things you'd expect in a house, uh, in a house-based haunted house. I'm constantly in and out of the rooms showing people around in such and such. Well, one particular night, it was very slow because of a local football game, so we had a lot of free time to do nothing. Instead of hanging around the other actors, 
A couple of other actors and I went to Evelyn's bedroom because it was the only place that had anywhere to sit down. We're taking turns using the restroom and suddenly one of the clowns comes in looking absolutely terrified and cussing up a, st- oh, a person dressed as a clown. Okay. <laughs> Haunted house people. Okay. That threw me for a loop. Okay. So one of the clowns comes in looking absolutely horrified and cussing up a storm trying to tell us what he saw. Apparently while he was in the bathroom, he turned to look out of the frosted window that was, um, that was popular in older trailer bathrooms and anyone who knows... Anyone who knows when you look out of a frosted window, you can't see anything clearly. I know exactly what she's talking about. Yeah, I do too. Yep. But he said he looked out of the window and could see a woman clear as day glaring at him. He said he didn't even finish using the bathroom and ran out of there as fast as he could. Of course, that kind of spooked us all because we're all avid believers of the paranormal. Before we could discuss it, we got a call on the radio as telling us to get back into the place because we had some customers coming in. I decided instead of going into a different room, I was going to hang around the quote bride's room, which was right next to Everly's or Everlyn's room. In yeah, that's hard for me to distinguish. In the bride's room, we have a door that pops open when you step on a pressure plate. There's also a vanity, a birdcage mannequin which holds extremely heavy vintage of extremely heavy vintage wedding dress. Without the dress on it, it's easy to make the mannequin rock side to side, but with the dress on it, you need to add a little more pressure to make it move. There's no logical explanation I have for this, but the mannequin starts swinging wildly, even though the dress is on it. I wasn't even standing near it, and I was definitely the only person in the room, but it kept rocking and rocking. I stopped dead. It stopped dead still as soon as the group was let into the room, even though it was stopped and I wasn't alone anymore. All of the hair all over my body was standing up. I got my wits together and continued the tour. I moved the group through as slow as I could simply because I didn't want to be in there alone. I would have moved rooms, but another group was starting to come through. I got back into the bride's room, hearing the next group was near, but still had a couple of more rooms to move through. I stomached it until they got in there. Just as they were about to come in, the door that was opened by the pressure plate popped open, and on the other side of the room was... And on the other side of that room, it was full of dolls, which was supposed to be the haunted dolls room. All of the dolls that were set neatly on the shelf flew off into the room. I didn't have time to pick it all up, so I just tied it into the script. At this point, I felt the worst wave of nausea run through my body, and I was dripping with sweat. Finally, the owners called, the owners called a break and I rushed out of there to round everyone up. A couple of rooms away from the room that I was in, there's a room that's supposed to look like you're in a swamp. There's fog machines and lights, and it looks pretty realistic. There's normally two or three people in there, and I like walking through it anyway just because it's cool. So when I felt something touch the back of my thigh, I just played it off as one of the other actors joking around trying to scare me. I said, cut it out, it's time for break, come on. Only for some voice to whisper in my ear that I needed to get out. I looked to the side and saw a figure that dissipated as soon as I looked at it. And I didn't stop running until I was out of there um, at the break area. When I got to the break area, another one of the actors was crying hysterically because she had spotted Henry's ghost and he wouldn't leave her alone. I told her about my experience and she told me that, or sorry, and she told me that he had said the exact same thing he said to me, to her. 
I remember having to step away because that nauseous feeling was coming back and I ended up tossing cookies because I was so terrified. When it was time to go back inside, I had to walk through the swamp to get back into the house, but this time I felt someone scratch my lower back just above my bottom. I begged another girl to switch rooms with me and I didn't have any problems for the rest of the night. As the night winded down and it was time for us to get out of our costumes and go home, another actor had pointed out that I had scratch marks on my lower back, the same place that I had felt the scratch from before. I checked it out in the mirror and sure enough, there were four um, jacked nail lines about, about five inches long running horizontally down my back. I remember being so scared that I had to have one of the security guys walk me to my car and make sure I got my seatbelt on and started the car before I let him walk away. Oh my god. Yeah. That would this be day, really scary. In a haunted house. That's a haunted yeah. house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to this day, it's still one of the most horrifying experiences I've ever endured. The next day, the scratch marks had disappeared completely, but I still have photo evidence of them clear as day. If you take a look at my back now, there's no scar or anything. The only proof I have is the one photo and a few of the other actors who I showed, who I showed it to know about it. Should I continue acting there? No. Am I going to? Yes. It may be scary, but it's also exhilarating to have come in contact with true ghosts. As for little Evelyn, she's usually following one of the actors home. I have yet to see... Oh my god, creepy. I have yet to see her, but I know Annie and Henry are definitely still living in the house, even though they don't exist on the mortal realm anymore. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Okay. Why? Like, why are you living in a haunted house? That's a haunted house or not living, but like, I get it's exhilarating. I'm terrified of fake haunted shit. So there's no way I could survive that. But yeah, no, no, thanks. I don't like haunted houses, like, like Halloween haunted houses. I don't like those. I don't either. I hate them. I absolutely hate them. Yeah. All right. We each got one more story. All right, so this next story is from my bestie, Chelsea. (gasps) Yes! Yes, very exciting. Okay, so she says, here's my submission for spooky listener stories. In 2008, when I was nearly 21 years old, I moved into a big house with seven other girls. This house was owned by an older man, and there was not enough rooms for all of us to have our own room. Um... Only two girls were willing to share a room, so the gentleman that owned the house agreed to build a new bedroom in the basement. He converted he converted what was once his storage space for extra paint into a bedroom. We drew straws to determine which girl would get the basement room because nobody wanted it. I drew the short straw, and I moved into the basement by myself. This room that he built consisted of two rooms. The front room had no windows and no overhead lighting. It was completely pitch black unless you plugged in a lamp, which was connected to the light switch. Then there was a doorway to a second smaller room, which was intended to be the sleeping room. This was because it was the part of the basement that had an egress window for safety, like for fires and stuff, I'm assuming. At night, I closed the door between the sleeping area and the dark front room. One night, I was in my bed on my laptop when my television turned itself on to static. I reached for the remote and pressed the power button, but it did not work. I started to get a little freaked out 
and I went to the wall and unplugged the cord to the TV. However, the TV stayed on completely unplugged for a good 10 seconds. After this happened, um, I went back to my bed and tried to rationalize what had just happened. But it was not the last strange incident that would happen that night. Not long afterwards, I saw a white I saw white ghostly fingers reaching over the top of the door between the two rooms, which was closed. Um, you would think that this would have really scared me, but for some reason, I stayed very calm. I just rolled over so I couldn't see it and closed my eyes and went to sleep. I was woken up, what was probably a few hours later, by someone or something laying on top of me. At this time, I slept on my stomach and I felt someone or something laying on my back with their arms over my arms and their legs over my legs. No. Nope. I couldn't move. I was experiencing what most people would call sleep paralysis. Whatever was pinning me down started saying my name, but there was nothing that I could do. Finally, I was able to uh, move again and I sat up but did not see anything in my room. This would start a seven-year experience with what I believe was an incubus. For the next seven years, I had multiple encounters with the entity that had pinned me down and said my name. Eventually, uh, I came to understand that he is an incubus, a male demon whose goal is to have sexual encounters with sleeping women. I started getting uh, sleep paralysis almost monthly. I would feel him laying on me, pinning me down. I was awake, but I couldn't move. I started shouting no, and the power of... <laughs> Are you serious, Chelsea? The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Chelsea! <laughs> Yes, like the exorcist. <laughs> and he would eventually leave. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. <laughs> he was never uh, able to do anything more than essentially spoon me. The scariest point in these uh, years of visits is when he took a human on a human form to try and trick me into consenting. I had been dating a man and we had... Um, just been hanging out in my apartment while my roommate was out of town. It was getting late, so he went home, and I locked the door behind him. I went to bed only to be woken up by this man coming into my room and starting to climb in bed with me. The incubus was on top of me, lowering his mouth to mine. Before I remembered that the man I was seeing had left um, and could not have gotten back in, I shouted, "'You're not real!' and the incubus disappeared." This was the closest he ever got to assaulting me. The visits went on for a few more years with less frequency. I got really good at pushing him away with my mind. Eventually, um, I think he just got tired and gave up, or maybe my energy just got too strong for him to bother. I haven't been visited since 2015. I have a lot more ghost stories. I see ghosts and spirits and other entities on a fairly regular basis since I started purposefully strengthening my clairvoyance. Um, but this was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. That was it. Damn, Chelsea. Yeah. So when she <laughs> sent that over to us, she sent the first half of it. And I was like, you cannot just leave us. Leave me hanging. I need right. more. She sent that second half. I didn't read it. I just said we're going to be reading it on our 
podcast, so I didn't know the second half of it. Jesus, that is creepy. And how does one, I know that you can sharpen like your senses, like everyone is, has abilities to a certain extent, whether you want to use them or not or whatever, but I want to know how to sharpen them, you know? Yeah. Very interesting. Hold on. We should have her on as a guest one day. I would love that. I would, yes, I would would definitely do that. That would be Um, so fun to have her on as a guest. But it would be cool to hear it right from her, though. It would be. Oh, yeah. And all of her, like, ghost stories. Okay. Yes. Woo-hoo. Okay. So this person asked to remain anonymous. I know this person, and so I know that this isn't, like, bullshit. This happened because I saw them tell it, and they were, like, freaked out. So, Okay. It was the summer of 1991. My ex-husband and I had just gotten married. I was working second shift at a bank in downtown Milwaukee at the time. We were having car problems, so I needed to, t- needed to take the bus to work. And I was sitting at the bus stop waiting for the bus to arrive so I could hop on and get downtown. After I got on, we rolled a little ways and we stopped once more to pick up more riders. The bus was getting pretty packed, so I scooted over for a man who needed a place to sit. The man um, who I offered the seat to, um, I remember him smelling really good, really clean. He was very mm. clean, cut, clean cut, not off-putting at all. He actually really looked like someone who took care of himself and seemed like someone you'd befriend in a bar, and he was very nice. After the bus took off, um, after his stop, we arrived downtown and everyone was getting off. When we got to my stop, he very politely stood up, stepped aside, and let me go first, and then we both got off. We went our separate ways. I walked towards my job, and he got on another bus um, towards where there were more hotels on the west side of town, towards, like, the Ambassador Hotel and the warehouse. Um, I don't think the warehouse was a thing at that time. But I finally got to my job to take the elevator up and decided to have a cigarette and a snack before my shift starts. It had been some time since I had gotten off the bus. I had to walk through traffic, put my stuff away, get situated. I finally sat down, lit my cigarette, opened my snack, and looked up at the TV because everyone was starting to crowd around the break room watching what was going on in the news. When I looked up, I see the man I was sitting next to on the bus getting handcuffed outside of the Ambassador Hotel, and I instantly got full body chills. I turned as white as a ghost. The man I was seeing was the same man the Milwaukee police had been looking for, the man who had been killing young men throughout the city. It was Jeffrey Dahmer. They were showing human remains on TV, boxes being hauled out of his home containing severed body parts. My coworkers were in disbelief that I had just sat next to this man not even an hour ago. I had blocked it out all of these years. And to this day, I have never told my ex-husband that this happened. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Could you... (laughs) So, this is stupid, but my main takeaway from this is that he smelled good. (laughs) So, I was just going to (laughs) say, he smells it's always the people that you don't expect. The only person, yeah. the only serial killer that I would have expected would be Richard Ramirez because he just stunk and he was just like a wild card. Yeah. Like, he seems like a, a serial killer. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, she she said that, yeah, he smelled good, like not offensive. He was very polite, very kind. He was good looking. Like he was very mm-hmm. handsome, good looking, respectful. Um, but this person also wasn't his type, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, 
so yeah they were sitting next to jeffrey dahmer on the bus and he he got arrested outside the ambassador hotel yes which is where he killed uh his first was it the first victim i think i think so yes and like so the ambassador hotel i've been there a few times like across the street because across the street from it is the warehouse the venue the it's the the eagles club oh yeah the rave oh sorry why did i say the warehouse sorry guys warehouses in wisconsin or lacrosse wisconsin not milwaukee wisconsin yes the rave um but you can see it from there yes yeah Mm -hmm. so that's how i knew like exactly where they were talking about yeah i stayed i went to a a show um at the rave once and stayed at the ambassador hotel how was it because they're cheap Um, like you can buy you can rent rooms for cheap well there's the ambassador inn which is really cheap okay yeah and that's like it's not as nice as the actual ambassador hotel we stayed at the ambassador and it was it was really 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 nice. nice um i so some guy um i can't remember what room number we were in uh but we were on i want to say the second or third floor and this guy a drunk guy definitely Mm -hmm. drunk walking through the halls he's like hey are you from room such and such (laughs) and we're like uh yeah because i don't know like we had music playing and i I thought like maybe he was gonna be like hey can you turn your music down or something like that Mm -hmm. but he was like that's the room that that uh jeffrey dahmer murdered that guy in yeah well have a good night (laughs) yeah it's room 507 so 507 yeah oh my god yeah yeah fifth floor i don't it it wasn't it wasn't that room that's not the room we were in yeah um people go in and they request they request that room yeah i when when our group left the hotel room I, um, like, went in there and I just, like, snapped a few pictures, like, randomly to see if there was, like, going to be any orbs or something like that, but I never found anything. So. God, creepy. Could you imagine finding out that in that day was when he was arrested? Like, that day. Yeah. Just bizarre. Just bizarre. Like, when you saw him on the bus, he was a free murderer yeah free murderer just chilling out in the world and then yep and you sat next to him yep (laughs) and then he got off walked to where he was going she she got off walked to where she was going and i know the the cops must have been waiting at the hotel i think is how it went down yeah god and it's creepy because like i i remember listening to this i like this cannot add up and everything she told me added up to what actually happened i was like this shit actually happened Mm -hmm. this is wild yeah just crazy so that's our listener episode and we have a few more listener stories that we didn't get to read this time around because it's getting on an hour and a half long show right now um so we'll sprinkle those in here and there throughout the next few episodes that we do because we have a few good ones still. Yeah. So thanks for listening to our first episode of season two of Perfect Stranglers. Yeah. And we will chit chat with you next Thursday. Yeah, we sure will. We're excited to be back and we will talk to you next Thursday, Stranglers. Bye, Stranglers. Stranglers.